Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Tech Your Business podcast. Today, it's not a solo episode, it's another guest episode, and our guest today would be Garrick Tate. Garrick is an AI futurist and is the CEO of Valhalla.com. We are just <laughs> Valhalla.team, sorry. We are just trying to, I think the, the pronunciation threw me off a bit. <laughs> But we are getting there. <laughs> so <laughs> Valhalla works with purpose-driven tech companies to build their teams and their products. So like I said, he's an AI futurist. So we're going to talk about his company. We're going to talk about his experiences and also talk about AI. So welcome to the show, Garrick. Glad to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. So tell us a bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so um, I'll give the the long short version um i was born in the northwest of the usa and uh, came from a family of entrepreneurs um wow. and was was able they have a fantastic program in washington state where you can skip part of high school to to get part way through college and so was able to um to to speed run that and then just as i graduated um my my brother and my father were starting a publishing company and oh, so we we uh i decided to join in on that and go all in and about a, a little bit less than a year later flew out to the philippines so i've been based out of here for 10 years now hmm. um and have have had um funny enough actually arrived here on the day of typhoon Haiyan, which i'm not sure if people remember that but that was the largest typhoon ever hit landfall and that was the day our plane arrived so it was it was quite an adventure uh being in being in a foreign country on on the day of the of one of the worst um typhoons ever ever strike but um picked ourselves up um obviously we we uh uh had, had a lot of ups and downs going through those 10 years but uh now have three successful companies and the one that i spend most of my time running is is valhalla which is our software and it it uh company and where we're focusing on AI, that we do use AI across all all three companies. So that's uh, the long and the short. Mm. So before we continue, why did you choose the Philippines? What was the thought process going there? Well, uh, we actually originally were hiring all around the world. So we had some people, um, I think we had one person from Scotland, actually. So it was not so part of the UK. Um, and another uh, folk in Japan. But not only did we get some of the, the best value from the Philippines, but actually our managers were based in the Philippines as well. So cool. we had the very highest quality people um, as well. And uh, so our, our team was based here and we just decided we were really going to go all in. Um, we didn't want to just kind of be on the sidelines and kind of try to grow it uh, purely remotely. We wanted to um, take the big swing and, and 10 years later it's, it's worked out. We have about 75 employees here now. And um, I think that, um, every country has their own ups and downs, and the Philippines definitely has a pretty unique culture that you have to learn. But if you can um, access it well, it has some just amazing people here, and also just very, very nice, very fun loving, and just overall a, a fantastic place to live as well as work. Hmm, nice. So you mentioned you have um you spend the time across three companies which all use AI. So for a non-technical audience, how do you des describe what AI is? You know, we've been hearing about it in the news all the time. So <laughs> what it is and um, how it works at a very basic level. Yeah, I think that um the fantastic thing that's happened 
late last year where we're recording this um like august 2023 um so the fantastic thing is that when ChatGPT got released everybody could could access ai so i feel like the the technical literacy has gone up tremendously across society mm. so uh i think my answer one year ago would have been a little bit more around like okay neural nets and and, and yeah think about like the functions and such because um i've been i've been in the ai space for about about six years now um but now that everyone understands this on, on a base level it becomes a lot more about explaining what ai with tools like like these large language models and like ChatGPT and stable diffusion and and um these these tools um it becomes more important to realize what they're not if if that makes sense let me let me give an mm. example here so i think the biggest misconception about ai nowadays is that it can appear like it has top down reasoning that has some objective view of of reality or it has like a model of reality in its mind when it's it's much more accurate to think of it as a purely bottom up um technology at least at least at this point so uh you know in in the advancement of psychology so much of our advancement in psychology has been figuring out where the human brain breaks down so so we learn a lot more about where brains break than we do about like when it's working when it's working it's just obvious but then you know we do the the studies with epilepsy patients where we separate the the two lobes and all of a sudden we can see like weird behavior come out um similar with ai i i, I recommend people to try this experiment at home type into chat gpt a very large number sequence so let's say four trillion five billion yada mm -hmm. yada um and then multiply it by an equally large number you know 10 quadrillion whatever whatever and if you ask it to to multiply those two numbers, it will give you a response, but it will be an incorrect response. And you can verify mm. that just by copying and pasting the same equation into like any calendar or or just into Google, because Google and then throw up the the, the uh, not the calendar, the calculator. Um, calculator, yeah. And the, the the strange thing about that though is that when it gives you the wrong output, it will typically get the first few digits correct and the last mm -hmm. few digits correct. So, so you have to ask yourself, like, what the hell is what the hell is going on there? <laughs> um, because you would think it's a computer. Computers are really good at math, but these AIs are working on a completely different methodology than how we mm. build calculators. So, all of computer science for the last, you know, major many of the last major advancements outside of AI have been advancements in top-down thinking. So you can think of these as like algorithms, um, where they will perform things in a predictable um, in a predict predictable way, and it'll be top down. You'll you'll follow a series of instructions, and it follows it to the letter, and then you'll get the the expected output. With these AIs, they're going from a bottom up approach, which is basically pattern recognition. It's just a fancy way of saying pattern recognition. So going back to that that number, and you can try this at home. I, I urge you to try it. Mm -hmm. You know, type in ChatGPT. The reason why it will get, if you ask it what's two times two, the reason why it'll get four is because it's seeing that question appear so often that it's um it knows the answer but if you ask a very specific question you know 10 quadrillion etc cetera, etc cetera, yeah no one's asked that question before it doesn't have enough data to get to get the response mm. but it it knows already the pattern of multiplying large numbers it does have a pattern of the first few digits and the last few digits um because you can basically derive those from the first few digits of the um of the of the numbers that you're multiplying against each other so 
the weird thing is as a human, I don't think I'll be able, I would be able to do that. I wouldn't be able to guess a few first few digits as a human. Um, but the AI can. So it's 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 for me that is a really fantastic example of seeing where it's breaking down, where it can't answer the question. It will think it knows the answer because it's hallucinating. Mm. And we can talk about a little more about about you know what hallucinations are and, and what generates them. But but fundamentally it is a bottom-up approach that is running to its limits. And so I think that's a really useful glimpse into into what AI is good for and what's not good for. Hmm, interesting. So you said you um, spend your time across three companies which all implement AI. Um, what are they and how do they implement AI in their workflows? Uh, great question. So we have a publishing company. Uh, that's the one that we had founded 10 years ago, and it's still still kicking today. Now with uh, better better managers and a better CEO than, than we ran it. Um, and uh, they are doing a fantastic job there. Uh, we we implemented AI in that company, particularly in um, the marketing material. So mm -hmm. creating um, short videos and graphic marketing posts for for the the books, largely largely fiction and romance books. So you imagine you know using a tool like Midjourney to create marketing materials, and then uh, augmenting the entire marketing workflow with mm -hmm. that with that technology. Um, our second business is our VA company, which is a uh, – it's called Raya, which stands for Remote Executive Assistant. It's a premium VA company for executives. And there we took the approach of training all of the team members, and, and the way that they had done it was really incredible. And I say, I say they because it was my business partner's idea um, – created a database where every assistant in the company was incentivized to add ideas to, to this database, listing everything that they could possibly think of that they could do with AI. And I believe mm -hmm. there was actually a competition and, and the winner was um, was given given award. And then we had a fantastic database along with examples and training so that any new VA that came in, because the VA, uh, we, we take a very premium route, but that also means uh, a lot of bespoke and a lot of... Um, customized based on the the individual's personal needs um, but then we had a catalog of over 100 plus things you could use ai for which really uh allowed us to springboard forward with really great training for all of our our, our va so the the marketing pitch there is you don't it's not uh that the ai will replace your assistant it's that your assistant's gonna be 10 times better with ai um, and then our third company, which is the one I spend most of my time in, Valhalla, uh, Valhalla.team, is a software um, and IT company uh, that specializes in team augmentation. And so their AI is, is used at many different levels, from, from recruitment uh, to also uh, how the developers uh, write code and deploy code and, and the tools they use for that. Mm. Interesting. So why I ask that question is because a lot of um, businesses these days, they've heard about AI, they've heard about the possibilities that they can achieve with AI. And they, a lot of them plan on implementing AI in their own businesses. But what are some common misconceptions these business leaders have around implementing this in their businesses? I think that the place where most of, I'd say at least at least most of my clients get really tr tripped up with 
implementing AI in their in their company is that AI is ultimately still a inputs outputs game, which is mm. to say that there is there has to be defined inputs of what goes in, and then there has to be defined output of what you're hoping to get out. So maybe that is a spreadsheet that's inputted, or maybe it's like three three separate data points, and you want to output like a custom email as an example. Is it all that data has to be very very clear and it has to be easy to feed into the system. Um, with with these large language models, the thing that's amazing about them is that they've consumed essentially every part of the major internet. So so like ten percent of the internet for the ten percent that we actually use. So it's like essentially the entire entire uh, web that most people interact with, and so they're extremely knowledgeable, but they have to be guided and when they're guided it's a lot like nowadays guiding um a teenager who's eager to please but ultimately is very well educated but but doesn't know how you know what is that you want and so you need to be able to instruct the teenager how to do the how to do the instruction and you have to give them all the data they need in order to give you the the output that you're looking for um is that there's no there's no there is a black box component, but it's not like a magic wand component. You have to feed it the data. And so the way that I, I, I the example I give for this is if you have an accountant, mm -hmm. um, and, and accountants definitely will be disrupted by AI, certainly not replaced, but, but disrupted. When you have an accountant who's a good accountant, they're not just looking at your P&L statement, which you might be able to feed that into an AI. They're, they're so much more. They're also knowing what your goals are. They're knowing what your hopes and worries are. They, they would be able to uh, tell what your um, tendency is towards risk. They would be able to, to understand you as a person and what your goals are, which basically comes from the inputs of your conversations with them. So if you want an AI that came in, if, if we're building AIs with the intention of taking over every you know, all of that material, we have to be looking at things far beyond just your PL statements. They have to be understanding you as a person. So getting the inputs right there becomes very, very challenging. Mm. Um but still ultimately a a I think something that is on the horizon. Um so when analyzing your business, let's say you're a business owner and you're asking where where can I where can I add AI? The the place I, I encourage people to get started is to diagram in broad strokes what their business processes are and how they interrelate, specifically in the customer journey process. So from prospecting to um, converting into a lead to converting to a sale to then um, onboarding to fulfillment, you know, so so on and so forth. Every one of those steps, you're going to have certain bottlenecks and certain inefficiencies. And then you you want to target those inefficiencies where the inputs and the outputs are clear and where you have lots of examples and that pr preferably are error prone where you can want to improve the, the quality assurance. You want to improve the quality of the output. Um, and then if if the inputs are clear, then you can add AI into that com um, component of your business with very little friction. Mm, so you see processes in the That was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, I think, but I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I got that part. So in the customer journey, so where you have a lot of examples and things that are error prone, um, those are good places to start to start implementing AI with. So apart from that, what else 
kind of business um, implement? What, what's some easy, quick wins they can have with AI that can encourage them to go deeper? I think some um, great areas to be looking at adding AI. Well, I mean, I think if you're going for just the quickest win, I don't think you're going to get much much lower hanging fruit than just learning how to use just just go with the gorilla in the, the room. There's lots of others that are even better um, depending on what you need, but just go to the gorilla in the room at first, ChatGPT, and start using it more in your day-to-day workflow and try to lead by example and get your team. I'm, I'm speaking specifically here to business owners, um, which is the, the area I specialize in. Get your team to be using it habitually in their workflow um, because AI is a fantastic brainstorming assistant. It really is like a second brain that you can you can bounce ideas with. Um, even more effectively often than than other humans because the problem is that other humans can't always give you their full attention. Um, and so it's it's a it's a, a fantastic tool just for that if you're doing white collar work. Um, the next level, once you have done that, I think there's a lot there that we could unpack about how to do that effectively. But assuming that your your team is using it habitually and that you've implemented that digital transformation in your company, um, then the five slightly higher hanging fruit um, are typically in your sales and marketing. You're moving prospects through your funnel. The second would be onboarding and automating the onboarding process because a lot of that is information exchange that can be handled by AI. The third is customer support. The fourth is employee support, which is like specifically employee training, employee manuals. Um, if you are uh, a very large company that has thousands of employees and people are confused about policies, creating a chat bot that has a knowledge base of all your company's information can be extremely helpful because they can ask personalized questions and get get the answers. Um, and then number five is typically uh, data transformation. So converting data or enriching data, such as reporting or, or other um, other processes. So those are typically the five areas that I, I look at in a client's business. Um, but the the long version is that chain diagram I was describing earlier and finding the bottlenecks. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So earlier when we were answering, you, you said um, it's possible that when you implement, implement AI in your accounting, it disrupts the accountant's job. And then um, you also mentioned having your team habitually use AI because it's like a second brain and it helps, it, um, helps with their productivity and everything. So... Now, with most teams, you know that there's a problem with change management. There's a problem with getting people to get used to new technology, new things, and make them habits, like you said. So what lessons have you learned around that change management and getting staff on board with AI? Yeah, there. it's definitely a complicated problem, especially in some parts of the world where the conversation around AI taking jobs has, I would say, a bit calcified into um, certain blanket statements that are, I I often would, uh, would argue, are, are really just resistance to change in the first place. But when when people are worried about AI taking their job, there are certainly some industries that are going to be more impacted than others. But I think a part of the conversation that is not we're not having enough 
is that many industries are constrained more by supply than demand. Mm -hmm. So the example of this, and I, and I know I'm, I'm bouncing around between a lot of ideas and I'll weave it all together here. The example for this is the ATM machine. When we were rolling out ATM machines, we thought mm -hmm. that bank tellers who 80% of their time was just basically punching numbers um, were not going to be necessary anymore, or at least 80% of them were not going to be necessary. Um, but when we rolled it out, the exact opposite happened. We got, we wanted more bank tellers, not less. And the reason why is that we were opening up more bank branches. All of a sudden, the same staff could service more people. And so what we're really dealing with there was a constraint on the supply side, not a constraint on the demand side. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of areas are going to be disrupted. But a year from now, I think that we would love to have 10 times more art. We would love to have 10 times more code. We would love to have 10 times more of a lot of the things that we already already have. Um, there will be some industries I think will are more constrained from the demand the demand side, which would be, I think customer service is, is a big one where um, if one customer service representative is 10 times more effective, we might not need the same number. I think we would want more, but maybe not 10 times more. Yeah. But even in those situations, the narrative is absolutely not that your job is going to be replaced by AI or machines. It's that people who are amplified, who are 10 times more productive are going to take your job. And if you learn this technology and, and master this technology, um, you're really going to come out in this on, in a really big way. And funnily enough, when, when studying the history of technology all the way back to this, the, the steam revolution, um, or so the, the industrial revolution, this was, has, has been, has been the story. So the story of Luddites was actually not people who were scared of machines. They were um, the, the weavers, which was the very first industry that was ever disrupted in the Industrial Revolution in, in the UK, uh, where I, I believe you're, you're based. Um, they were, they were um, annoyed that all of a sudden non-weavers could, could do their work. So it's people amplified by the technology could produce 10 times more material. Hmm. And I think that, that some of that is happening. But the thing that's different this time is that someone not trained in your job is not going to do your job as well. You're going to do your job better because if you know your craft well, then you will be able to articulate it better than other people. Right now, the best AI art that Midjourney and Stable Diffusion is being is producing is being produced by artists that are better at articulating it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that crafts a very different picture than what some people have. Um, if if I'm leading a team or consulting a team, though, the, the version I give, sometimes I'll go in this longer explanation. The short version, though, is just the, the do or die that this is a technology to be embraced because if you amplify yourself 10 times stronger, then you will just be a, a, a better player. You, you will um, ultimately come out of, of this disruption in a really positive, positive way. The second thing I advise people to remember is that if you are shrinking away from, from change and are worried and panicking, your brain will work less effectively. I think that the, yeah. the, the neuroscience has shown that you're about 32% dumber because 
the blood literally in the neocortex is being pulled back. There's less blood going to your neocortex, which is what what allows you to be creative and, and take big leaps. And um, in this type of environment, you're just way better served when you're at your best. And so I definitely encourage people to just on practical level, take take an optimistic look and see how you can uh, do your do your work um, with less stress, with less effort and produce two to 10 times more because it's it, it's right here right now. Interesting. So can you share with us some um, real examples of maybe your clients or within your company where applying AI or AI automation has helped to improve the workflow? Yeah, absolutely. So one one area that we've been uh, using AI that's been really helpful and we're, we're currently rolling out more features um, is in our recruitment workflow. So as as our VA company has been growing quite a bit, um, the demand to to be hiring a lot of people has has gone up with it, um, which has um, honestly just, just overwhelmed a big chunk of our, our recruitment team. And mm -hmm. so in our own company, a lot of a lot of the AI we've been implementing has been in that department. So some of the areas that I can I can share is that there are certain handoffs and certain steps in the recruitment flow where you might want to create custom messages for the applicants to make sure that both their answers and their questions are addressed, but also they know very, very clearly where to go next in the funnel. And so taking their queries, typically an email or a chat format, feeding it into ChatGPT along with the context um, around their question and the next step um, automates a lot a lot of that and allows us to put a lot more people through through the funnel. Um, additionally, using AI to analyze people's CVs, we've had CV scanners for a very long time, but now yeah. with large language models, they've started to become a lot more democratized, a lot less specialized. So there's really great tools out there for um, grading that and also grading people's um, test results. If you have specialized tests and you want to grade people's, um, for instance, their their uh, their reading level or their writing level if they if they write something, um, these are all areas where we we've, we've been implementing uh, AI. Uh, really effectively just in our own in our own company hmm. interesting interesting so when when you um look at ai a lot of us realize it's um limited it's limited in what you can do give us the example in the beginning where it recognizes patterns not actually does where it doesn't actually compute and um so looking at the future what emerging or future AI capabilities are you most excited about for businesses? For business, that's a good question. I think I think when I, when, when I'm looking at the future of AI as as an AI futurist, I'll, you know, a lot of what I spend my time doing is looking at um, the academic and and the research papers because that is at this point, very rapidly changing business. So it's it's pretty incredible because this technology is essentially doing what, what electricity did to power, it's doing to intelligence. So electricity um, allows us to um, better distribute power, power in this case being defined as the ability to, to produce work, produce force. Um, we're doing the same thing now with with intelligence. So you can add intelligence to multiple different 
um, processes or add intelligence to to different um, even physical objects. And so, because it's it's still modeled off of us as humans, and business is all about humans just transacting with each other. It it is um, very easy to apply. Like like these these what used to be very academic um, papers are now like affecting people's lives like within within a month um, as yeah. as new models are being developed. Um, so I I think the areas I'm most excited that are coming in in the academic pipeline um certainly i did not expect but i'm very happy to see that these large language models are easier to customize and to train on smaller hardware um mm. i i i was of the opinion until um quite recently that the only major players here would be tech giants like the Amazons and the Googles. Um, so like really only five companies that would be capable of, of building these things and they would control all the data. But at this point, it appears that with some innovations, um, I would definitely recommend anyone who's interested in this to look up the the white paper. Uh, we have no moat, um, which was um, Supposedly leaked by Google. I don't think it was actually leaked, but that's that's another story. But if you just type that into YouTube, we have no moat by Google. Uh, there's a great, there's some fantastic videos that that break it down, um, that describe these tech giants don't have the moat they thought because hmm. with the specifically the leakage of the llama model by Facebook, and then some white papers have come out specifically around chinchilla and and um, low rank adaptation, Laura. Um, the price to build your own AI models has decreased significantly. And I am oh. incredibly excited by both individuals and businesses able to control their own data um, and apply their own context into their own models, uh, which I think really just democratizes this use of intelligence to, to just a another level. Um, and that that really excites me and, and is very, very, very passionate for me. Mm. Nice. All right. So um, for business owners trying to implement AI, you've given them a couple of things, a couple of tips to look out for and everything. But let's look at the other way. Is there anything they should be cautious about? Are there any risks that they should take cognizance of before thinking of implementing AI in their businesses? I, I think that there are are two major ones. Um, one that I think is maybe talked about not, not while it's still not very well understood as a privacy aspect. I think a lot of people talk about that in, in black and white terms without fully understanding the, 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 the situation. But what, what I would say about, I'll give one uh, insight into the privacy model is I think that we are, going to be developing a new type of job that specializes not in SEO, but in ASO, uh, AI search optimization. Mm. Because I actually have have a friend I had dinner with a, a, a month ago who is in the uh, European home repair market. And he was figuring out how he can use AI for um, his, his client's business. And his client research messaged him like two weeks later and say, what did you do? Because now when I search 10, um, 10 uh, European 
companies in the home repair market, we are consistently in that 10 top 10 list. We weren't there before. And oh. so the reason is, is that it was such a sub niche that was not being used, but their name kept on being used in that part of the word cloud. So the word clouds are to adjust all of a sudden that their names are popping up the top of the list. So I, I believe that the, the concept of privacy here, I don't think so much IP is really at risk, nor a lot of people's personal identifiable information. But there definitely is a tier where that has to be considered. And I think for a lot of people, they're actually going to be aiming for that because that's going to be their claim to fame. That's going to be their SEO. Um, I think, though, a lot of people who are, are scared that, you know, ChatGPT is going to steal their their amazing business idea, that <laughs> is really just a, a snowflake in a snowstorm. Um, but if you're in a very niche down area of of research or or, or concepts, then in turn you could you can move the needle in a way that, that might leak data. Um, so that's that's number one. Um, even while I, can, I urge a lot of people don't don't have to worry about that, um, it's still worth considering depending on on your your IP. The second area, which I think is is more concerning, is around hallucinations. So. Mm. I mentioned hallucinations before, but that's that's just our way of describing when AI gets data wrong. Um, but if you look at the way the AI works, that's not a bug. Like that intrinsically has to be how it works. Because because what it is essentially doing is that it takes in the entire input from from everything it said up to that point and everything you've mm -hmm. said up to that point to it. That's it's layer one of data. Layer two is it then looks at all the combined knowledge it's ever seen when it's, as it scraped the internet. And then it chooses the next word in the sequence based on that conversation so far. Mm. So this is why it will give citations of papers that don't exist. Um, because the, the way it's creating those citations is not by actually looking it up just like the number that's generating it's not actually timesing two plus two together its way of doing it is it's looking as a pattern what words will typically appear next in mm. in this in this word sequence so sometimes we'll get the citation right especially if you're in a conversation about a particular person's work because it will see that researcher's particular um white paper titles associated with that researcher's name. So if that's name pops up, then sometimes you will get like accurate citations. But just as often, and in my experience, actually even more often, I've heard some people are luckier with it. I'm not, I'm not sure why maybe the prompt engineering is different. But in, in my experience, like 80% of its citations or URLs just don't work because it's yeah. essentially just guessing based on the on the um on the context. So that's hallucinations. And I don't think there's really any way around that based on the fundamentals of how technology work. Um, the the way that you solve for that is, in my experience, best used with vector databases, um, which a vector database is, actually, I don't know if you want me to, to go into that. This this is something that, that, that can apply to some businesses, but it's um, it's a, a a pretty specific use case when you, when you need it. Um, I don't know if you want yeah, me to go, can, go into that. Yeah, yeah, you can talk about it. So, so uh, most people hear this term called knowledge base. It's creating your company's knowledge base, and then the AI essentially, when you when it's prompted, will first look at the knowledge base before it then 
uh, checks the wider information web that it has. So it might have 10% of the internet installed, but if you make it a knowledge-based based AI, I don't think that's the term for it, but you, know, you, you make an AI with knowledge base, it will always check the knowledge base first before it checks its, its broader information. That can dramatically reduce hallucinations in the specific area where your knowledge base applies. So mm. let's say that you are a veterinarian and you've, you've written many books on how to actually make animals healthier um, and how to actually do that. Because the AI will check your knowledge base first before going to the internet, it's far less likely to make something up because it's more primed with the factual information in your sub-niche. Um, those knowledge bases are created with vector databases. So that's, that's where the word vector database com comes in, um, which is essentially just a fancy database that will enable the AI to do more complex, essentially still just control F searches. So if you do control F in a, in a paper for like Frank, right? Or like a like broker or whatever, um, it will just find that one word. In a vector database, it can not just find that one word, but find other words that are related to it, hmm. um, which makes it far easier for complex queries or complex AIs to ask it complex questions and get meaningful answers. Um, so that's that's a technology that drives it. Um, and so, but I think that's the way we fight hallucinations, but it's it's part of the fundamental tech. It's, it's very hard to eliminate 100%. Mm, interesting. So as we get to the end of this um, episode, can you give some parting advice on how business leaders should approach AI to maximize the benefits and also minimize disruption to their existing processes? Then also, if you have anything you'd like to share to our listeners who are mostly business owners, um, that I might have not covered in this interview. Please go ahead and um, do that. Absolutely, and and this has been a lot of a lot of fun, Peter. Um, I think we covered m most most everything in in this talk. Um, if you're just getting started on this on this journey, certainly the lowest hang. Let, let's say you're a small to medium business owner of you know. Uh, five to 20 employees and uh, you have have um, a million give or take in, in, in turnover um, you know the the typical lowest hanging fruit is just to really be using this technology in your own workflow lead by example uh, try to empower your team to champion its usage in the different departments that you lead and really make them feel responsible and make them feel excited um, give them a compelling vision of the of the heaven and the hell, so to speak, of, of the good things that's in it for them, what, how it's going to make their lives easier, better, faster, et cetera. Um, and what, what's the, uh, the, the potential downside of not using it as the entire industry is disrupted. So, you know, painting that picture, you know, rising them up, that's, that's the lowest hanging fruit. The next level then is thinking about it a little more systematically top down. And, and that's really my, um, most of my uh, day job working with with clients, and so uh, of course, reach out to me on LinkedIn if if you, if you need help. But um, the the process is 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 just a block and tackle. I said before, look through your businesses diagrams, look through your business operations, find those areas where you have data, um, where the inputs and outputs are clear, but where mistakes are still being made, or else it would just be very. Um, very uh, economical to to automate that part. So then. Uh, your people can focus on on the higher value add stuff, and that's the um the the pattern I I walk most people through. Uh, I think that's that's pretty much all there is to it. 
Mm, nice. All right. So thank you for coming on the show today. So if our listeners want to learn more about you and what you do, or they want to connect with you or work with you, um, how do they reach you? The best way for, for most people is just search for me on uh, LinkedIn, just Garrick Tate. And you can send me a connection request there and, and say where you found me. And I'll, I'll be sure to, to respond. Uh, you can also check out uh, my company's website, Bahala.team. Uh, where we specifically specialize uh, in building out uh, IT um, teams and building out software development and product teams. Um, but if you just need help with some consulting or something in uh, adding AI to your business, just just reach out to me on LinkedIn. All right. So thank you very much for coming on the show. And for the listeners, thank you for being with us up to this point on this episode of the Take Your Business podcast. I'm sure you've learned one or two things about implementing AI in your business. And um Till next week, when we come with another episode of the Tech Your Business podcast, don't forget to keep taking your business. Bye for now.